Now, let me explain something to you before it happens, because I know technology hates me. I have something planned to help the kids this morning, to help all of us as we go through what I'm going to teach this morning, but it works so far. <laughs> I was going to say, with everything that might happen this morning, it might not come uh, together as a plan you have, so as I kind of wander, you'll see what happens, because I'm guessing. This is the first time I've done it, and you'll see what I'm going to do. I've, I've got enough room here, hopefully, to make a mess of everything. So we're going to have we're going to do something for the kids, but for all of you, because I don't have a PowerPoint, and I find the best PowerPoint is called a pen and paper. Okay, so if you have a pen and a piece of paper, if the kids got a pen and a piece of paper, which is this, what I want you, what I want them to do, or you you want to, this is this is where it comes fun. This is this is what we're going to do with our lesson this morning. We're looking at Matthew chapter five verse twenty. So if you want to go to Matthew 5.20, and I'm going to deal with one word this morning, and prayerfully when we walk out of here, we'll have a lot of questions, but we'll have a lot of questions answered. So the word I'm going to deal with, let's see if this will work. Yes. See? Plans of mice and men. That's a T. Got it. Whoops. Hey, let's try it one more time. Hey. This is, we'll try it. Let's do smaller, right? See, this is when my computer's got to talk to this thing. How's that? Better penmanship, okay? We're going to talk about righteousness, okay? So let's look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. And I'm going to kind of walk you through some ideas, some thoughts I had. Um, With the kids, I'm going to teach you a little bit about Bible study method. Same with some of you adults, and kind of look at some of the things I've done to go through this understanding of righteousness. You with me? Okay, if anybody gets lost, you can raise your hand. If I'm going too fast, kids, to write things, raise your hand. Adults, raise your hand, because I think some of the kids may be quicker than some of you. Okay, Matthew 5.20. Matthew 5.20, for I say to you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Do we understand righteousness in this verse? And what is righteousness? It sounds like a really good church word, right? Okay, and we're going to talk about some of those aspects, and not all of them, um, but we're going to kind of look at those things. Here's what I want you to understand, and this is for all of us. Matthew chapter 5 is teaching righteousness. The theme of Matthew chapter 5 is Jesus teaching his disciples righteousness. Specifically his disciples. There was an extended group and the group grows as we get there. But he's talking about righteousness. What is God's righteousness for men to live by? And we've got a problem with a lot of things that we're going to deal with this morning. So hang on. Chapter 6 is what I would call practicing righteousness. For instance, in chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Beware of practicing your righteousness. That was very helpful. (laughs) So the Bible kind of sometimes tells us what it's talking about. But what is righteousness? What is it? Uh, And and it seems like if you do a word search on the Internet, it's nailing jello down. Because here's what people look at. And this is wrong. A, they look at a righteousness that can save you. So here's the things you can do, looking at the Sermon on the Mount, that can save you. That is absolutely wrong. You cannot do anything to be saved. 
Jesus is also talking to disciples that are predominantly saved. Okay, in other words, Judas may or may not be in a crowd. According to Matthew 4, he wasn't. And I'm going to stick with that. But he could have been with all the disciples at the time. We don't know because Matthew's not in chronological order. So we don't know when and who the disciples were. When we talked about that, many classes before that. So we have this issue. How do we deal with that? Now, I want to give some pre, uh, preemptive strike on information before we go to the study on righteousness. Okay? And I want us to all understand that. So this is supplemental one of today. Today we're not dealing with going walking through the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, so kind of walk with me this. First of all, I want us to understand Jesus himself had a very high regard for Scripture. Jesus held a high regard for Scripture, and Scripture that he held high regard for was the Old Testament. The New Testament had not been written. So when we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, the Old Testament, I referred to as Torah. Okay, so if you want to write that word down, since we got this up here, come on, catch up with me, electronics. There we go. Torah. Slow down. Torah which was basically considered the Old Testament, the law, the instruction, all these facets that have to do with that one word. But Jesus had a high regard for that. Secondly, um, he was ever oh, the only one ever to use the word truly. So throughout this discourse, like in verse 18, it starts with uh, truly. Uh, in the Sermon on the Mount itself, he uses the word six times. The reason I bring this up is because... Uh, it's gospel times, and Jesus talks with certainty. This word truly could be amen. It could be, uh, shows importance, but more than anything, it shows the integrity of the teacher. He's not saying, up until now I haven't told you the truth, now I'm telling you the truth. All he's saying is, with certainty, this is his teaching. And if you do something, it's very important. You verify teachers, right? You check out if teachers are right, or if they're wrong. And how would you verify Jesus' teaching? You would open up the Torah, you would look at it and say, does this say that? How would it be understood as that? And Jesus is going to give us the fullest and best understanding, 21 through the end of the chapter, of chapter 5, on understanding Torah, righteousness, okay? Um, to the rabbis, to the rabbis, the school of rabbinics at that time, when we're going to say Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, uh, Essians, all these uh, uh, groups of different Jewish leaders, they all took the Torah as the word and additional oral law too, which later became the Talmud. And the Talmud became the authoritative word. And if you ever heard of this word, I'm throwing a lot of words, kids, just bear with me. If you ever heard the word yeshiva, it's school that the Jewish rabbis go to, and yeshiva studies Torah, not, I mean Talmud, not Torah. You with me? So they held a higher place for rabbinic writings or oral, what they think is the oral transmission of Moses' law higher than the written transmission. So this is what Jesus is up against. And we'll see that. We're going to go through some of these ideas uh, at, least, at least this morning or coming weeks that we're going to look at. Um, Jesus also didn't honor what the Pharisees had honored. Jesus didn't honor weekly fasts. Um, he didn't distinguish clean between uh, clean and unclean. Uh, Jesus didn't do the things the Pharisees did. And once the Pharisees, as religious leaders, saw Jesus was opposed to their rules and ways, there was automatic animosity. 
And you see that throughout, especially specifically through Matthew, how there's this uh, constant opposition to each other. More from the Pharisees, Jesus would just, later he would say, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, and we'll see that. In chapter 7, verse 28, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, it says, the result, when Jesus had finished these words, the multitudes were amazed at his teaching. Uh, that is never used for any pharisaical teaching. They're never amazed at it. They're just like, what uh, kind of idea? For he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. So it's real clear there. There He was teaching as one with authority. And that's important to see. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. It says this, At that time Jesus went on the Sabbath through the grain fields, and his disciples became hungry and began to pick the heads of grain and eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Behold, your disciples do what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. What? You're hungry, you don't eat? And so Jesus has to deal with that contention. In Matthew 15, which will probably be at later, um, verse 1, it says this, Matthew 15, verse 1. It says, Then some of the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem, saying, Why do your disciples transgress the traditions, or tradition, of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. So where did they get that from? Where's Okay, Leviticus what says about washing your hands? Nothing. Okay? Where did they get it from? Tradition. Tradition. Um, today, I think in any bathroom I've ever been in lately says wash. They give you parameters, 20 seconds, scrub to the elbow, because you're going in surgery after the bathroom. Uh, so, you know, there's a, a cleanliness issue that's involved, and there's nothing wrong with washing your hands, especially before you touch any of my stuff. Um, but, um, but there's not a biblical law to it. You kind of get what I'm saying? Uh, Jesus says there was a kingdom righteousness that demands Israel. Now, you've got to hear this because this is important. This kingdom righteousness demands Israel as a nation to keep the law to be blessed. And they also had to be born again to enter that kingdom. So it was a duality for Israel. Today, we don't talk, we don't have that language. Okay? Because we're not nationally going to do anything. Uh, I pray for this nation, and you should too. I pray for the leaders of this nation, and you should too. I pray for future leaders of this nation, as they may or may not change in November, you should too. But this is not a biblical nation that will lead the world to God. Maybe even lead them away from God, because some of the things I've seen going on is craziness. Okay? Uh, and in Matthew chapter 5, where we were at, verse 48, I want to draw your attention to it before we actually get into some of this. It says, Therefore you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That was a slammer, wasn't it? How close to perfection are you? Are you as perfect as your heavenly Father? And you say, no, no way. Well, Jesus said, that's what's, going, that's what's needed and that's what's important is going on. So therefore... Uh, one of the things I think we previously discussed already, um, as far as uh, the purpose of the law, was to bring people to Christ. Okay? But we're not going to address that this morning. We're going to address righteousness. So, here's what I did. So, hang on. We're going to play. Okay, so I went and did a click. I searched on righteousness. So you see my Bible program, and you, see, you can see very clear, clearly that I... 
my, through my pointer, that I clicked on the idea of righteousness in, well, let me pull this up. Hang on. It's more than one, so I want you. So you can see in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. Um, you all can see this, yes or no? Okay, okay. Because I can make it bigger. I just don't know what it will do to the picture. So, um, But you'll get the idea in a minute. So this is every occurrence of righteousness. So if you want to do a word study in the Bible, you've got to find out everywhere it appears and get an understanding of where it appears. I wanted to just first and foremost look at what Matthew is dealing with the word righteousness. Now, there's two words involved. There's not only righteousness, but it's also righteous. Okay, so we're going to look at both those aspects a little bit, but I'm going to do it a little differently, so hang on. So, But I want you to see this. Matthew uses it in 315, 5.6, 5.10, 5.20, 6.1, 6.33. So 5.6 through 6.33 is the Sermon on the Mount. So you can do an inclusio and say, here's these verses in this. What is he talking about righteousness there? Because we know from uh, the Old Testament, all our righteousness is what? Filthy rags. Yet Jesus is talking about a practical righteousness, which is kind of interesting. He's not talking about imputed. Okay? Now, I'm going to write this down because I know the kids are going to go home and chew mom and dad's ear off. So we're going to do this. Here's the word. Here's Where did it go? We've got two words we've got to deal with. We're talking about imputed righteousness, and we're just going to put R. And we're going to talk about practical righteousness. Okay? Two different ideas. Imputed righteousness came when uh, first, uh, Second Corinthians 5.21, where we as sinners, Christ imputed God's righteousness to us. Okay? What's involved in this idea? So I'm looking at the kids that are writing. Hopefully they're writing some of this down. And this is going to be dinner. Mom, what is imputed righteousness? Dad, what's practical righteousness? Dad, why aren't you practically righteous? You all are going to be in trouble. It's going to be an interesting week. You know? But kids, if you call down your parents, you're breaking Ephesians 6.1, which says what? Children, obey your parents. That works out well for me. Unless they're telling you to do something that's not biblical. Okay? So, so we're back here. So we've looked. Uh, there's plenty of occurrences of this word. According to my count, if you, this is, you'll never see this. It's, it's used in 295 verses, 308 times. So how would you do a word study? You'd have to go through every verse, catalog and frame what, what this, what's being spoken of, what's going on. I did the work for you. Okay? Because that's why I'm a teacher. That's what I like to do. But I'm not going to give you all that work. I'm going to consolidate it into two aspects. So ready for this? We're going to talk about a different thing. How many of you getting this yet? Ready? Clear this. And I'm going to talk about something that's even... Oh, that's what I wanted. This is what I wanted. Okay. I'm going to talk... Well, catch up with me. Okay. Good for sound effects, right? This is, this is the word for the day for all of you if I can ever get it written. Pharisaic righteousness. Because in Matthew 5.20, he's talking about this, your righteousness has got to what? Uh, in my version, it says to uh, uh, basically uh, surpass. Some versions say abound. Some say exceed. 
your righteousness has got to be different than the righteousness of scribes and Pharisees. It's got to be different. So what is Pharisaic righteousness? So you could put you could put the, again that R after it. What is Pharisaic righteousness? What is it? If I was to ask you that, how would you find it? What would you understand it as? So, in other words, from from Matthew 5.20, they had a righteousness. Right? Can you see that? And if you think imputed righteousness, you say the scribes and Pharisees are going to heaven because God has imputed Christ's righteousness to them. There's an issue with that, isn't there? Or am I missing something? But they did have a righteousness. So we're going to, at some point in this morning, we're going to arrive at an understanding of what they were doing. But let's look at some of the things and get an understanding of what they were doing. Uh, first of all, we know that everything the scribes and Pharisees were noted for were all externals. All externals. They were doing. Right? Look at chapter 6, verse, uh, verse 2. It says, when you, uh, therefore, when you give, do not sound the trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogue. So the scribes and Pharisees have become hypocrites. We'll see the transi- trans, uh, transition to that. But we know that they were giving. We know, the tri- we know the Pharisees gave. They were really good givers. We would love to have them in church. But before, as they gave, they kind of did this. Uh, put it down and you go... Sound the trumpet. Let me know. I am the Pharisee. And they come tribing in. And it's really good because the thing they used to give looked like a, a, a form of a trumpet, a spout kind of thing. And if you put it in cash, you know, paper, what would it sound like? So they didn't have paper money, but they had lots of change. So you throw change that down that thing, and it makes a resounding sound. And they go, you know, kind of... <laughs> kind of thing. Uh, that's what they were doing. They, uh, they, not only that, it says later they prayed, uh, and they basically in verse 5 it says, and when you pray, you should not be as the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues on the street corners in order to be seen by men. Lord God, they'd be praying out on Sheridan. I'm glad I'm not like the rest of these hypocrites in that church across the street. Because I do these things. And I love it. The Lord said, well, you got your reward. You, got, you, you have people that think you're great. Um, look at verse 16. Chapter 6, verse 16. It says, whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance in order to be seen by fasting. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. How do you fast? I'm starving. I haven't eaten for days. <sighs> how would, if you were really fasting for the Lord, how would anybody know? And if you're doing it, why would you be doing it? I can't find a command anywhere that says you've got to fast. I like to do fasting very quick. Yesterday I didn't have lunch. I could say I fasted through lunch. I wasn't gloomy about it. I was busy. I said, oh, goodness, I didn't eat lunch. I'll make up for it at dinner. I knew where I was going to dinner. Okay? That's not fasting, right? Well, neither was the Pharisees because they were doing it uh, to get attention. Verse 5 of chapter 7. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. 
and you can clearly, uh, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eyes. One of the things the Pharisees did is they noticed your problems when their problems were probably bigger than yours. And we'll get into all these as we do that. So that's kind of the look at Pharisees a little bit. Uh, the disciples were urged here in chapter 5, verse 20, to be unlike these Pharisees. So, but they had a, they had a righteousness. Um, we could say this, the, the, right, the Pharisees did the right things for the wrong reasons. We can say that from what we looked at so far. They did the right things for the wrong reasons. And has anybody ever met a Pharisee today? Just with that kind of profound understanding? We've, we've probably seen some Pharisees today. So what characterized a Pharisee? Now remember, we're not studying the word per se yet. We're just looking at Pharisee righteousness. First of all, I want you to understand something. The word Pharisee was very interesting. The word Pharisee meant separate. They were to be separatists. If you want to know what they were, they were the first religious separatists. Uh, and it's interesting, at that time there was a prejudice. One of the main prejudices, I don't know if you know this, is don't do anything for the Gentiles. If a Gentile wanted to be part of our group, a Gentile had to become a Jew, had to be converted. That's why sometimes people say, Jews have to be converted. No, Gentiles have to be converted. Jews, this is normal. Um, somebody once asked, and I think I said this before, how come you as a Jew believe in Jesus? I go, because it's normal. You hear what I said? It's normal. It should be normal. It's abnormal for a Gentile. So if anybody's abnormal, it's when the Gentiles come in. And that, that was not accepted by the Pharisees. Gen- they were separatists. They also elevated, scripture, uh, elevated tradition over Scripture. They elevated tradition over Scripture. And again, why do we do this? Because we've always done this. Uh, churches today, they tend to be some of them traditionalists. In other words, a new pastor will come in and say, we're going to meet, instead of 10.45, we're going to meet at 11. And then half the congregation goes into one of those, you know, what I call religious shocks. They go, you can't do that. This church has always met at 10.45. You cannot do that. And you got to be, what are you talking about? Well, because it's so ingrained in them, it's almost, it's almost in the scripture. They usually find it in, in this case, it would be in Southwood verse, you know, chapter 2, verse 7, you know, and you find it in your Bible between, somewhere between Malachi and Matthew. Somewhere right written in there, we always meet at this time, you can't change the meeting times. Or whatever, uh, thing you do. I've seen church splits over color of carpet. Over, really? Who cares? Because whatever carpet you're going to have, unless it's the color of dirt, you're going to see it. Ours is close to the color of dirt, so we're good. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. They wanted a a, uh, a mauve carpet. I think that's what it was. It came out to be with gray walls. And I said, well, that looks really good for what? I don't know. I'm not into those either of those colors. That's a pre- that's a preference. I don't care. I want to know what's going on in the church and in the pulpit. Um, so color is not relevant, but I, the church splits. Okay. Um, because it's tradition. They also gave Scripture a, malipu- a manipulated interpretation. Now, you got to see this, because this is fun, because we won't be there for a while. Go to Matthew 15. So, so far, when we looked at Pharisees, we're getting a grasp of them. They're religious people. So one of the things we can't say about the, the Pharisees, they're religious. 
They're religious, so if you, you, there's a little box in your paper, kids. If you, if you're not, don't understand what that word means, I would put it in a box, words I do not understand. Okay? They were religious. Um, the next word we're gonna say, we, we, come on, catch up with me. Somewhere to come in. There we go. They were also hippo, oh, hippo, I guess I gotta slow down, or this my computer's gotta get faster. They were there's gonna be an E there. They were hypocrites. You can also put that down in your box. Um, so we're in Matthew chapter five. And I like this because it's 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 interesting. God says, Honor your mother and father, verse four. Sorry, Matthew five, fifteen, verse four. fifteen, verse four. And God said, Honor your mother and father. And he who speaks evil of father and mother, let him be put to death. Now that's pretty clear, right? It's a clear law. It comes, Jesus is quoting from the Old Testament. But you say, <laughs> you know, there's a difference. Here's what the Bible says. But you say, whoever shall say to his father or mother, anything of mine you might, ha- might have been helped by, has been given to God. It's real easy. You need help, mom and dad? Fine, but I gave it. And turn it over to God. It's His. And if God doesn't relinquish it, I can't help you. So if you need some food in the fridge, can't help you. It's God's. If you need some cash, can't help you. It's in God's 401k. Can't help you. And Jesus says, He is, he is not to honor mother or father, and thus you have invalidated the Word of God for your sake of your tradition and your pockets. Okay? Now, I don't know if you know, but that's, uh, that's words, fight words, right? Imagine a pastor going to a church, and the church says, well, if you change things, we, we won't have it, because that's our tradition. And, they t- and the pastor turns around, very strongly says, you just invalidated the Word of God. Because that's what should be said. Because you've made your tradition more important than the Word of God. It says in verse 7, you hypocrites, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. The peop- this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far f- away from me. So here's what you do. You take that verse, and, and go take the next one too, but in vain they do, they, uh, do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. You could take those ideas and plug that into the righteousness of the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. What are they doing? They have a righteousness, but it's according to whose standard? Their standards. So what is the, what's the idea behind righteousness? It's doing good no matter how you do it. But Jesus don't want you doing man's good or pharisaical good. He wants you doing godly good. Get the picture? And how do you do godly good? Understand the, the scripture as it was written. Go to chapter 23. You're going to get a full shot of Pharisee today from me. We'll start in verse 13. Matthew 23, 13. It says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! Now he's put them all together. Now I don't know if you understand this. Jesus is saying something to this group that is fighting words. Okay? And the only way to fight off truth is what? Is what other truth or lie your brains out. Okay? 
So here's what Jesus says, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from men, for you do not enter in yourselves, nor you allow those who are entering to go in. How do you do that? By misuse and misappropriation of the word of God. Isn't that demonic? And Jesus, Jesus is saying specifically for them, they're not going, you're not entering. They're not born again. Remember, you got to, to enter the kingdom of heaven, you have to be born from above, born again, and you have to, what? As a nation, obey God, the Mosaic law to be blessed. And they're forbidding it because they're not teaching what the Bible says. Now, I've, I've read my Bible at least a couple times through, okay? And I know it says, thus saith the Lord. I don't think it's ever said, thus the Lord might have said. Get the difference? And they're saying, thus the Lord might have said, and they're putting in their words. And it says here, the traditions of men. Look at verse 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel about on sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Now, I don't know if you think that's strong words, but they've gone for, to the fullest extent to make someone convert. And I would think they're reaching out to a Gentile. That's what I'm looking at, to make him a proselyte. Okay? They reached out, they brought him in, and he's no closer to heaven than he was when he was a Gentile, far from the word of God. Far from the blessings of Israel. Do you understand that? Now he makes him a convert thinking he's right with God. You know what the worst place anybody could be? Is thinking they're right with God on their own terms. Do you understand that? Not on biblical terms. You say, yeah, of course I'm right with God. God loves me because I'm okay. No, you're not. I've read my Bible. You are not okay. You're not even close to okay. None of us are. Right? Or have I read something wrong? So this is what they were doing. They were, th- they were getting people to believe they were okay because I am now this. It's funny because if you take that in another verse where it says Abraham has many sons and God can take stones and make more sons out of Abra- for Abraham, th- this is what they were. They were thinking they were making more sons for Abraham that weren't even godly sons. Look at verse 23. Verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice, faith, and mer- uh, mercy and faithfulness. In other words, they got the minutia down. They got uh, what I would call the spice rack of religion. Right? It says what? Mint, dill, and cumin. I don't know about you all. That sounds like some recipe to cook. Or some, maybe some kind of... Uh, Put some chicken in there and you got some fajita. I don't know. I don't know what mint will do. Um, so don't follow that recipe. But they neglected the, what's weightier, what's the more important things of law, which which has to do with justice, mercy, and justice is another way of saying righteousness. Uh, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. Can't listen. They're separatists and they're separating out things that are teachable. And then they're telling, they're putting a yoke of bondage on people they couldn't even carry on top of that. That's another place to address. Um, look, at, look back at chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. And if you notice, what I'm trying to do is stay within the book of Matthew. And we're not going to go through it because I kind of alluded to it a few minutes earlier. But this is when they're, go, they're hungry, they're going in, and they're eating bread. Uh, and he said to them, verse 3, Have you not read what David did when he became hungry and, 
and he and his companions, how he entered the house of God, and they ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to eat, nor for those with him, but for the priests alone? Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent? But I say to you that something greater than the temple is here. In other words, the king is here. Why are you worried about the minutia where the, we got to do the important thing? And here's the important thing. But I say, uh, verse 7, but, I, but if you had known what this means, I desire compassion and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Interesting, right? Here's the King of Kings. He's, he made the Sabbath, and if last I checked, the Sabbath is for God. God rested on the seventh day. Man just honors it by what? Spending time with God, basically. Not doing the things that are common, uh, everyday occurrences. But here's the important thing that we got to look at. They thought they were good doing it. They said, look at me. Look how good I am. And you're not. You're breaking the law. See, their, their righteousness, their righteousness, their hypocritical righteousness, let's look at this, their hypocritical righteousness and religiousness, righteousness, religious, and hypocrisy that they lived under, um, separated them, and in their separation, in their separation, uh, like the flu, <laughs> which is kind of funny, it's in the news, like the flu, they quarantined themselves from ca- tax gatherers and sinners. They wanted nothing to do with them. Jesus is eating with them and can't understand how Jesus in chapter 9 is eating with tax gatherers and sinners. Why? Because they're vermin. You go near vermin, you're going to be what? Verminized, right? You're going to catch whatever they got. And Jesus wanted to give what he had. What did the Pharisees have to share? Nothing. Other than their vain religiosity. And whenever they did anything, they sought attention to themselves. Even in their religious garb, they would seek attention to themselves. And I will say this, I think some of that still goes on today. All of that, not just in Judaism. So don't say, oh, I know, I've seen Hasidics. They do everything to draw attention. They're dressed so weird. They have the long uh, hair on the side curls they have. And they, they got the talus on the side from their prayer uh, girdle, prayer uh, apron that they wear. They draw attention to themselves. It's all, they're pharisaical. So are some Christians, a lot of Christians. Okay, And Jesus is urging those through the Sermon on the Mount to be unlike these. Don't be like these. So let's talk about more unrighteousness that goes away from this idea of Pharisees. So hang on. Uh, let me wipe, wipe the screen and change the picture for a second. So we're going to go back to this idea. Uh, now righteousness can be seen from two vantage points. Okay, this is a little bit above the kids, so this is for parents to help remember. Um, but I would kind of help them with today's points and topics. This is the point. After all that, here's a point. <laughs> okay. Um, when we talk about righteousness, it's seen as legal and political uh, advantage point. In other words, we talk about imputed righteousness. It's legal. Okay. We talk about justice. That's a legal term because the same word for righteous can be in t- in translated to justice. Okay. It also can be viewed as religious, ethical, and moral perspective. So we have this, this court understanding, this uh, political legal idea, and we have this 
practical, I guess is the best way to say it, where it's religious, nothing necessarily wrong with religious, um, ethical and moral. So all righteousness language, all righteousness language is colored by different backgrounds, yet yet we can see these, and sometimes these two types aren't even separated, so you've got to be careful. So what does it require for us to do? So if we were to go through all of these, we'd have to take what is the righteousness being spoken of in that verse? Kind of with me so far? So let's just talk about a few verses. Let's, I'm going to, whoops, can't do it with that. I'm going to back this up a little bit. And I'm going to change this. So we're going to go to a different word. And. Voila. We're talking about righteous. And it says in first verse here, so this helps, the very first verse, the words ever used in the Bible, in the English translation, um, it says, Noah was a righteous man. How would you look at that? Well, you look at the framework of the society up into this time. So if you go to Genesis chapter 6, verse 1, everyone was doing wickedness. It was all over the place, and out of all those people, one man stood out. Now, I believe, because of God's grace, Noah responded to God's grace, and he was righteous. He was a righteous man because he was responding to God's grace and doing what was right when society would not. And what's the first thing Noah does that shows he's a righteous man? He says yes because he's going to do what? What's he going to do? He's got a building project. And God's going to say it's going to take you 120 years to do this and you've got to do this. And what did Noah do? He got going. He He built an ark in the middle of nowhere and people questioned him for 120 years. 120 years Noah gave out the gospel, the good news of that time, was saying God is going to send a flood. If you believe God and faith that God is going to do this, God will save you from the coming flood. Otherwise, you're going to be baptized all the rest of your days. Because everybody outside the ark got wet, right? Last I checked. That's how the flood worked, okay? Secondly, well, let's just do, do this can I, since I can do this. Um, in Genesis 7.1, it says, Then the Lord said to Noah, Enter the ark, you and your household, for you alone I have seen to be righteous before me in this time. He was the only one. What about his sons? I don't know. Here's the problem. If you ask about his sons, that becomes philosophical because the Bible doesn't say anything. But he says, You are the only one who is righteous. How do you like that stand? How many people are on the earth? No clue. But his righteousness were reflecting, reflected in the idea, enter the ark now. What did Noah say? You know, today's not a good day to enter the ark. The game's on. By the way, I think San Francisco's going to win. I just got my coat down here, so next week you'll know who I'm going with. Um, but we got time for the game, right? We've got to put things off. How many of you ever prioritized something above God? How many of you have ever done something above God and said, God's not my priority? Guess what? You're not righteous at that moment. Noah prioritized God to be first and followed what God said. So that's a sign of righteousness, right? How many of you not? You say, well, at that moment I didn't, but other times I did. So guess what? You've got to understand those things. So here's what we have. We have Noah as a guy that's righteous. We'll have later, we have Job is called upright. It's a similar word, so we won't find it in the search here. But Job, not Jonah, Job is upright. He's an upright man in his times. He's upright. And God says, God says to Satan, what do you think of my servant, Job? And Job wished he would have said, excuse me, 
Hello? Please don't talk about me. But God said, I'm going to initiate this with Lucifer and say, hey, what do you think of my servant? And because Job... Uh, in Jeremiah 23, I, I don't know if it's here or... Uh, hang on, because your eyes are going to go... Goo- there it is, Jeremiah. Jeremiah 23, 5 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I raise up for David a righteous branch. So who's the righteous branch of David? The Messiah. So the Messiah is called righteous. Obviously, we think of Messiah as perfectly righteous, but he still has to live life according to that standard. And he will give us that standard in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 and on. Um, in Proverbs 14, 24, righteousness exalts a nation. Could you imagine a nation marked by righteousness? How America doing? What's the scorecard on that? Everybody says, America's a Christian nation. They're so far from right... We are, sorry, we are so far from righteous, we're not a righteous nation. We're nuts right now. If you wanted me to label this nation, it's kind of nuts. I was listening, and the Republicans think they're right on the issues of impeachment, and the Democrats think they're right on the issues of impeachment. Somebody's got to be what? Somebody's got to be wrong, because they're both different. But they both insist, peace, why? We're nuts. I don't know what else to call us. We're schizophrenic. I don't know. And you listen to what's going on, and if you're uh, a thinker that doesn't that wants to be kind of bipartisan, you say, "Hey, they both got right issues, but they're not they're not righteous issues." Do you hear the difference? And we would like one side to be righteous, but that's not going to happen. This word, this word in the Old Testament, and uh, let's just do this because you can see it, is sadik. If you see on this column now, this gives you the Hebrew word. It's sadik. So if kids want to write Hebrew, transliterated in English, it's T-S-A-D-D-I-Q. Right there. You can write it down. And say that's the Hebrew word that has to do with righteous. Um, and and Zadik basically has a various uh, use of it. It's blameless. It's innocent. Just one in the right. One who are in the right, right, righteous man. So if you know, it's real easy to understand what righteousness is. It has to do with right. Are you right? Who sets the standard of rightness? Guess what? You can set a standard of rightness, right? Because you could do things that are right in your own eyes. I have a problem with that. Because I know most of you, and most of you have a different viewpoint of right than I do, and you're wrong. Because it's not my right. And then there's my righteousness. Self-righteousness kind of idea. Then there's a righteousness that is a pharisaical righteousness, lining up with things that are traditional, things that are of that nature. And then there's godly righteousness. Um, and, and if you kind of examine that, you see what's going on. Uh, but this is this is the Hebrew equivalent of our word in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. Um, and I'm going to say this nicely because some of you will go and fact check after we're done and you'll say, oh, there's a lot of Hebrew words that are translated like the Greek word. Yes, this is the main one, okay? Uh, here's the problem. Hebrew is a very different language than Greek. So when the Greeks went back and looked at different words for righteousness and right, righteous in the Old Testament, they used one word because it was, it was their understanding of the fullness that I talked about, the religious side, the moral side, the legal side. It was all wrapped up in that daikaisune word, and we'll look at that hopefully in a minute. Uh, 
And it absorbed all those Hebrew understandings into one word. Righteousness in the Old Testament is wholly a religious, religiously determined idea. So when we talk Old Testament, it's it's mostly I can't I haven't found one. So someone will say, "Well, here's a word that says righteous, and it's political." I don't see that. Uh, not in the Old Testament. It's wholly religious. Righteousness describes the relationship Israel had with uh, with Jehovah. When we talk about Israel being a righteous nation, here's important. Israel had a covenant. Let's do this. Let's, we'll, we'll kind of finish here real quick kind of thing, but I want to show you something. Israel, as a nation, this gets kids, This you guys can put this in things I learned today. <laughs> you see the boxes, things I learned today? Israel, as a nation, as a nation, had a covenant relationship with God. Now, they had various covenants, but we're going to talk about just the Mosaic Covenant. And the Mosaic Covenant said, if you do this and obey this, you'll be blessed. And if you don't do this, you'll be cursed. And the covenant relationship had an obedience clause to the contract. Okay? Now, look with me in a minute, and I'm probably going to get this five more minutes, because I know this is a lot for the kids to absorb. And we'll kind of maybe pick up a little bit of it next week. But I think you're getting, prayerfully getting most of the idea. Turn with me to Exodus 19. Exodus 19. What I might do is pick this up again with the kids in here. but Because I still have a little bit more to do this. Because this, this could be righteousness part one. And we'll pick up part two in a few weeks. How's that? We'll see. Exodus, Exodus 19. Well, we can be, we'll begin in verse uh, 1. In the third month after the sons of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the very day they came into the wilderness of Sinai, when they had set out from Rephidim, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness, and there Israel camped in front of the uh, mountain. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the sons of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you up on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. So God's saying, this is my will, how I chose you out of Egypt and called you and you followed, so on and so forth. Now then, verse 5, if you will in, indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, that's what we're talking about here. This is the same idea of, of the covenant idea is not only covenant, keeping my covenant, but obeying my voice because where did they get the covenant from? God spoke it to him through Moses, right? Here's what will happen. Then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, and and all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. Here's what you are to do. Pretty clear, right? And this is, if you do this, this is what you will be. So Israel today, we can honestly say, is not a kingdom of priests, not a holy nation, not as God's own possession, because why? Now here's what happens to people. They're so eager, they sign a contract without knowing the terms of the contract. So Israel says, so Moses came, verse 7, Moses came, called the elders of the people, and set before them all the words which the Lord had commanded him. And all the people answered together. Well, I think about this unified cry. Upwards of millions of people saying what? All that the Lord has spoken we will do. With their fingers crossed behind. I don't know what they were doing. Because moments from this time, they don't do the first three commandments. They don't. 
They made a calf that they had shaped. That, that Aaron said, the funniest thing I find in the Bible. Aaron said, how'd you get the calf? It jumped out of the fire. What did you mean? It was a miracle. God go, oh my goodness, it was so miraculous. I can't believe that happened. Can you imagine God's face when, when Aaron said that? It did what? No, it didn't. No, it didn't. Listen, kids, I'm going to give you all a warning right now. If you're going to tell some fabricated story, make it believable. Don't start out with miraculous because you are not miraculous. It won't happen. Okay? Don't say, Mom, I don't know what happened. The ball just jumped through the glass window. I wasn't even there. No, that doesn't, that's, no, no, no. That's not what happens. Okay? Don't start out with miraculous. So, you know, and stop with the dog eating your homework. Just do it. So the idea, basically, this alliance that Israel had with God presupposed a mutual righteousness between the two parties. God is what? Absolute righteousness. We can say God is righteous. One of the things you learn when you study God's attributes, you call, it's called Jehovah Tiskanu. God our righteousness. So he's absolute righteousness. And what he act, expected was faithfulness to the covenant contract from his people and, and basically, they were to fulfill the obligations dictated by the contract. How did they do? Well, when Jesus deals with them in Matthew chapter 5, he's saying, here are the terms of the covenant reiterated, most of it, just some, a few issues he deals with, and basically you say, how is that? So we can cut, summarize this in his closing minutes, because um, I, I, I'm looking at some of the kids and they're smoking, so... I don't want kids going home on fire. What is true righteousness? True righteousness is is being God-oriented. True righteousness is being God-oriented. When we talk about righteousness as a human responsibility, it is is also primary being faithful to the contract God has given, and God expects man to line up with what God has. For instance, we're told to walk worthy as a believer. How are you doing? Do certain things. Well, let's just do this. So I want you to leave the adults with something. So go to 2 Timothy real quick. Everybody can go to 2 Timothy. Uh, We're going to go through two or three verses real quick. Let's do this. We're going to go to 2 Timothy, so the kids can have this, 2.22 first. Just in case something happens and I can't keep my word and finish this series, this little interlude. Now, you know, sometimes it's the simple things people don't get studying the Bible. Verse 22 says, flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Now, it's real simple. What Paul does, and he's talking in Timothy, he's saying, flee youthful us. Opposed to that, or in opposition to that, if you're fleeing youthful us, you're pursuing righteousness. If you're pursuing, changing the words, youthful lust, you're fleeing from righteousness. You get the picture? It's kind of clear. So there's a righteousness a believer should have as they walk through life. Go to... Uh, and, and, and it's interesting, righteousness is packaged along with faith and peace and love. Uh, go back to 1 Timothy, a couple, about two pages. 1 Timothy 6, 11. 
Well, yeah, let's do 11. You'll see. So we'll do, let's see. First Timothy 6, 11. But flee from these things. What things? Read verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing uh, for it have wandered away from the faith. The faith. That means they have, they've lost their doctrinal bearings and pierced themselves with, a, with many a pang. But flee from these things. You man of God. Man of God. Pursue what? Is, is in the believer's life, is the pursuit of righteousness there? Is the pursuit of godliness there? Is the pursuit of faith there? Love, perseverance, and gentleness. Then he says, fight the good fight, because it's not easy of faith. Do you see that? Pursuit of righteousness. I think that's what Jesus is saying, which is fun, really interesting. Look at 2 Timothy 3. Oh, I should have done this. Let's do this. 3.16, and I'll teach the kids, that's a semicolon. Sort of looks like a semicolon. 3.16. 2 Timothy 3.16. And we'll, we'll end here. i got a, about 80 more verses, but we'll, we'll end here. Because I promised my wife I'd give, a, give the kids time to go. <laughs> it's almost like school. No, because this is more important. This is about life and godliness, right? 2 Timothy 3.16. Anybody ever really read this verse? Look at me. It's, it's fascinating because it says this. All Scripture is inspired by God. God has breathed out on mankind His Word. You're, you have actually got God's halitosis in your hands. God's breath, His bad breath, or whatever you want, is breathed on you through His Word. Okay? And it is profitable. God's Word is profitable for teaching. Guess what we're doing? We're using teaching to profit you. Secondly, it's for reproof. reproof. That means if you have trouble in life and you're messing up, God's going to pop you back on the track. So you can once in a while you get a verse and you say, you don't know how that verse hit me. Good for you. Thirdly, it says for correction, because some of you got both those wheels of that train off that track. You need to be put back on track. Some of you may have said, well, I've wandered from God. Well, God brought you back. You know, stop doing what you were doing. You know, I, I find the funniest thing, when people don't prioritize God, what happens in their life? Just let that sink in for a minute. All Scripture is also for training in righteousness. Listen, your workout program, your workout program should consist of things that help you to be right with God in your everyday living. What's the practical righteousness you have? Or how's your training going? Some people say, well, on January 1st, I started buffing up. I look great. I'm physically fit. How's your spiritual life? Have you used scripture to be stay spiritually fit? Is that your fitness program? Because training in righteousness does what? There's an outcome to that. You know, everybody says, you know what, if I work out, I can run, you know, the six-minute mile. I'm not running a six-minute mile ever unless someone's chasing me. I'm going to tell you that now. But some people are looking, there's a goal physically to do certain things. Here's my goal. What's your goal spiritually? Because verse 17 says this, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. How? Trained in righteousness. So God expects your righteousness to continue on a training program, to walk worthy of the calling you were called with, to do godly things. Not the good thing, not the right thing, the godly thing. 
And my advice is always, and I'll give you it here, if you say, what should I do in this situation? Don't do the right thing. Don't do the bad thing. Do the godly thing. And sometimes that's really, really hard. But that's what God wants. Think about it. Because when he talks about murder, he says, don't even call somebody a fool. How many of you have ever done that? Don't raise your hands. But we've done that, right? God said, don't do that. Because that's the godly thing. So we'll look at that next week. We're going to, I don't know if we have a song to sing, a sing the song. No, we don't. We have, it says, message Pastor Eric, and he'll, and he'll close in prayer. So that's what I'm going to do. Um, I pray that the kids have learned something and grasped something out of today's lesson. Um, and they're not a blank slate like that was. They've got some words to, for you all to talk about. If you don't know what the words mean, it's time for you to research so you can teach your kids. Because what? Parents are to train up their children in the way they should go. Let's stand and pray. Stand and pray. I'm excited when the kids are in here doing this. Um, if you're homeschooling, you could use this for a Bible class, and they just got an A if they wrote it, things on here. Just And by the way, speaker, if you don't know kids, Pastor Eric. <laughs> Forgot to say that. Today's date is I don't know. So, Father, we thank you for this time, a blessing to come together to share with the word with one another. We, we dealt with one word this morning, but it's so important that we grasp that because there are righteous people out there, and some are righteous by their own standards. Some are righteous um, by a standard that we can never find in the Bible, and, and outwardly they're really good people. But, Father, we want really godly people, and in today we're looking for an imputed righteousness that only you can give, and, to, and for us to grow in our righteousness and our walk daily. In Jesus' name, amen. Grace and peace as you all take a few minutes to say hi to everybody, and so on and so forth. So.